Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of What Most People Think. And I am, it's Tuesday morning and I went out and did a bit of daytime clubbing at the weekend. I just won't let it go. 46 years old, there I was at the print works with all the youngsters. And I had a very strange situation whereby I logged into my um, Instagram yesterday and there was one of those messages from somebody that hasn't come in. It said, thanks for the free drink at Printworks. And I didn't remember it from a young person. So that's always good. And on that bombshell, welcome back to the show, uh, Andrew Dawes. So good to have you back on, mate. Are you well? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm jealous of you going clubbing. I didn't even like clubbing when I was a youth. You know, when I was a youth. <laughs> yeah, I never got into that. It may be because I use phrases like youth. Yes. Yeah. When you, when you, when I was a mere slip of a lad, I mean, it is what's happened these days, like a daytime rave scene, which is wisely concluded that generation X are selfish and are never going to let it go. Really. That we're never going right. to stop doing this. So they've also realized that they're, that we're the ones with disposable income as well. Well, also because uh, the younger generation don't drink, do they? So that there's no point in having a rave for them. It's just people moving around in bright lights. <laughs> and then no one's going to make any money, are they? You know, how are they going to make any money off that? I would say that these days there's probably more alcohol being drunk at baby raves than actual raves. Oh, We're yeah. just, just, just tired, disillusioned mothers sitting in the dark. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're they're slamming the Pinot Grigio. Those people, you know, it's uh, it's pretty grotesque to watch. I um I think this you were on the third ever episode of the show. I don't know if you remember that back then. It was like right? yeah, February. It was I, I launched the show in February two thousand and nineteen. And yeah, yeah I, I, we, we actually did interviews in person back then. And um, you are now, but I think this is your fifth time coming on. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, you remember those days people used to meet up. We just got used to this online thing and realized it's better. So, <laughs> I mean, the incredible thing about Zoom, I think, is that how often people are late for Zooms, where both people are yeah. in, in their house. <laughs> <laughs> it's really has shown us like our frailties as a species where the standard thing for any zoom work thing is um running a bit late can we do it t- at 10 past that is the yeah. standard <laughs> that didn't happen today but I, I think that i mean running late from fucking what like yeah exactly you're rolling out of bed you don't even have to wash you know you don't i'm have not to even wash. trousers at the moment you know this is ridiculous i don't have to do that well, running running late i think often means i've late i've latterly decided that i want a nice coffee yeah, and that's what, that's I'm not willing to, in, in terms of what I'm willing to accord priority to, 
Sticking to previous uh, commitments is not up there with my desire to have a nice coffee for this meeting. It, it is a proper slap in the face. It worries me, though, because I remember thinking this before. The, there's, a, there's a short story by E.M. Forster, you know, this is written over 100 years ago, called The Machine Stops. And it's a dystopian future where people are just in a room and they only communicate through screens. And that's all, mm. you know, it's just completely come true. It worries me, this kind of it, stuff. There is a little bit of that. I don't know about you. I mean, I always had an issue with this generally. But, you know, when you're just having coffee with one person or you go for dinner with one person, I find that very... Ang- and, and this is going to be the most millennial I've ever sounded, but very anxiety-inducing. It's a, just a lot yeah. of fucking pressure, isn't it? Well, also, I've, I've realised that, you know, I think maybe it's old age, but I'm, I'm, I'm a frail person. I, I caught a nasty cold uh, a while ago in New York, and uh, mm. I, I, I had it for like a month. And so now I've realised I just don't want to see people anymore. It's not worth you, the risk. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're not gone like kind of fully fully masked. It's just it's just pragmatism and how you feel about humans, really. That's pretty much it. Sorry, someone's ringing my doorbell. Should I answer it or should I let them? Yeah, sit? yeah. You, you you can go. On. I I can just edit this out. Yeah, if you want to. Oh right, okay. I better yeah. do that because that'll annoy me. It's a book that I don't remember ordering. That worries me. Oh, so so you're I'm buying drinks for young people at raves while I'm drunk. And and you're and you're ordering books. It's when, if, when I get drunk late at night, I order secondhand books, and and that and then they all arrive and I forget that I've ordered them. It's I, not I'm good... starting to see why you didn't go clubbing in your in your youth. <laughs> <laughs> I had a right old sesh last night. Ordered uh, ordered a second edition uh, Dickens. I mean that would be wildly expensive. It um, would. <laughs> that was. I was trying. I was trying to think. Of, I was trying to think. I mean, this is how the comic brain brain sometimes has to work. I was trying to think of something that would cost about a hundred quid as a book, but I think well, Dickens would be. A few weeks ago, I ordered. I found this book, which is a collection of uh, old postcards from nineteen hundred Italy, uh, reproduced in this big book. It's really expensive, um, and I didn't. I just sort of ordered it when I was drunk, mm. and then I. The next day, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful book. I'm really glad I made that decision. But <laughs> how much was it though? I mean, it was about sixty quid. Sixty. That's all yeah, right. I mean, a, to be honest, mate, big, I I did that back. buying sambucas for teenagers on Sunday. So, <laughs> 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 oh my god. I mean, I'm just starting to actually, as I'm, I'm verbalising this, realise how badly this could play. Is a right wing comedian tried to get me drunk at Dave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do people still have sambucas? Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, they're, I mean, they're brutal. They'll give you forty minutes of of, of energy and chaos, um, but the the level of dehydration in your hangover. No, I mean, I remember when I was at university, we had aftershocks. Oh my and, gosh, yeah, and that was like a kind of toxin. It was a poison. No one liked them. No one liked them. Well, we did no. it anyway. We were so susceptible to the branding. Do you think that that was a very cute piece of sort of product design in a way that, that how disgusting they were alluded yeah. to a near chemical narcotic experience? It did because it's called and it was called Aftershock and they deliberately chose really garish colours. You remember they're either yeah. this grotesque bright green or bright red. And part of the experience was sort of a, an endurance test, whether you, <laughs> whether you could stomach it. Um, yeah, pretty. I mean, pretty horrible. Well, Red stuff. Bull, I read this book about advertising where they were talking about Red Bull and its design and how there were so many points where they could have made it nicer. They could have yeah. got rid of the weird smell. Um, they could have not had those weird cans that look like sort of test tube type of things. But then they realised that all of these things were part of the reason that people thought it would be an effective energy drink. Yeah, this is it. You see, I, part of me thinks that I, I, I admire the younger generation for their sobriety and temperance. 
Yeah. You know, cause we were just pigs when we were that age. We were. I mean, what, how, how old are you now, Andrew? I'm 44. 44. Yeah, yeah there definitely was. I mean, I thought this about sort of, if you talk about Kane in it, our <laughs> generation was sort of like, you know, those tennis players that are probably their records will never get matched now, where they go, like Djokovic could win like 18 Grand Slams or, so, or something. You go, after that, it's just, that's not going to happen again. And I think that in terms of getting wasted, Generation X, I mean, they'll probably, what there'll be is there'll be a lot of people with heart arrhythmias in their 60s, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, no, we're, we're, none of us are going to live long, but, you know, no, we don't even have the memories. <laughs> do you think that that'll be how we address address the generational imbalances that just the boomers will go on for a long time but then yeah. generation x will just die at 60 and clear some mortgages yeah you'll just have some a lot of very old people and a lot of very young people uh it'll be a really interesting society there's a in, in mervyn peak's book titus grown there's a, a race of people who they're either young or old there is no yeah. middle age and i think that's our future I think Leonardo DiCaprio would be delighted with that. Take out the, yeah. take out the middle. Then no one can give him any stick anymore. It's just a, a couple of things. We're going to chat about um, politics. I really want to sort of um, pick your brain about how, how you see the political vista at the moment. Yeah. There's just a couple of small stories I wanted to pick up on. Is that the the Biden visit to to Ireland? There was a um, look. I, I totally get it. Ireland is doing well at the moment as 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 a country. It's always been well liked. It's doing well economically. They've now got a president who is very pro Irish. Yeah. Even given that, so obviously there's going to be a bit of British jealousy. You know, like in European jealousy, of course. Even given that, the level of sycophancy over his visit, it, it reached this point, and I would, I, would, I would suggest that people try and find this clip if they can. Was where he he came out on the event with music and lights and stuff. And it genuinely looked like, remember the old WWF style wrestling entrances? Yeah. Yeah. And he comes in and it's to them. It's kind of like this sort of supercharged house version of Irish kind of fiddle music. Um, I don't know if it's called fiddle music. That's probably culturally insensitive. Probably tra- trad, trad music, probably. Trad music. And yeah. I, I, ju- I just thought this is a strange thing where it's just like, we're giving an old man his dream, you know, or they're really, really taking the piss. You know, I mean, the mm. fact that he's basically decrepit and, and, and half alive and they're pumping out house music, that to me is, I mean, <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a dig. Yeah, <laughs> he had to walk. He had to walk to that stage much further than he'd have, than he'd have yeah. liked. <laughs> Could we just take that down by a few beats per minute, please? It's very odd, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, and I did enjoy the gaff uh, confusing the all blacks with the black and tans. That to me <laughs> was a good moment. You know, um, people have taken it very well, though. Even that, though, they've said... It's a it's a sycophancy thing. They've said, well, that's quite endearing. That's mm. quite nice. But, you know, mixing up a rugby team with a sort of brutal paramilitary auxiliary force from the Irish yeah. War of Independence, that's quite... It, it at least suggests something about his state of mind. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stuff that's happened with Biden, both personally and politically, where you you yeah. do think, if, if it was Trump, right, if, if that entrance to stage had been done as Trump... And I, I recognise that they're, they're different people with different legacies in terms of what they've said and done... But I do think politically, there's a lot of evidence that domestically, you know, Biden's, a lot of his political choices represent sort of continuity Trump, really. That's the thing. Yeah. But but he seems nice. It's incredible the level. People, the same people that say, well, you know, with Trump, it's all about personality and bluster and packaging. You go, it's the same with Biden, just in a different way. Yeah. And I wish they would just get over this, this fetish that the American voters have for elderly statesmen. I think it's their mm. undoing. You know, we've now got it's a scrap between two octogenarians, effectively. Well, Trump isn't quite 80, is he? He's maybe 77, 76. 
Yeah. Um, but, you know, as soon as you put uh, someone a bit younger in that race, uh, it will really expose the paucity of the system, you know? Mm. I mean, if, if Ron DeSantis ends up running against uh, Biden, I mean, can you imagine those two in a debate? That won't be a debate, will it? It'll, just, it'll be a, a, a televised act of public cruelty. Don't, you know? I, I now really want to see it because of what you've just said. Yeah. Like, I mean, there I mean, is... Of I mean, look, I, I've definitely chilled out and I'm definitely a bit more cuddly these days. But I do miss the odd salty liberal tear. We don't see as many of them these days. <laughs> it can be a laugh, you know, when they see their guy. I, also, you know, one thing that Ron DeSantis has got to clear up is every time I hear his name, I, I keep thinking I'm hearing that his name is Ron DeSantis. Um, uh-huh. Ron DeSantis. Oh, do you reckon when he, when he does his intros, he really stresses the pause, particularly as a Republican? You don't want any of that confusion knocking about. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen much of him. I, I occasionally get the uh, the articles thrown my way when people want to prove to me that he's a real threat to free speech and stuff because apparently he likes banning books and drag queens. Uh, yeah, which, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not uh, I'm not getting into the whole drag queen thing, but I think there's a kind of over exaggeration, a sort of overreaction from from certain quarters in the Republican side. I think it's yes. weird when drag queens are twerking in front of kids. I think that's properly bonkers. I do wonder at the moment is, is that for quite a while it's been the cultural left that have been the pearl clutches. Are yeah. there signs now that the the sort of right are retaking their old Mary Whitehouse yeah. credentials back? Look into that because um, I did a little uh, dig into into the books that some of the books that are being taken off shelves under Ron DeSantis. Now DeSantis is denying this. He says he's not banning books at all, mm. uh, but a lot of reputable sites are suggesting that that he's implemented a bill. And some books have fallen foul of it. And it might be a mistake and it might be overreached by a few local librarians or counsellors or something. But it's it's books like, you know, Mark Twain and sort of literary, mm. important literary works. For I do, I am under no illusions that the, the right can be as censorious as the left. You know, like, if you know anything about history, you know that that to be the case. And I've always thought it's just a matter of time, you know, because when I was a kid, it was always the Daily Mail. It was always the Daily Express mm. saying, ban this filth. It was, you know, they had to go at... David Cronenberg's film, Crash. They tried to ban Last Temptation of Christ, all of that, although that was a bit mm-hmm. before my time. But that, that sort of thing, always from the right. And now we've been through a phase where it's always been the Guardian and the New Statesman saying these terms are problematic, this work of art needs to be censored. Mm. It's the same idea. It's the same principle. They both believe yeah. that the masses are susceptible to corruption if they're exposed to things. So there's no difference really between the pearl clutches at the Guardian and, and what Mary Whitehouse used to say. It is the same. And now, and so I'm just waiting. I've never been under the illusion that that's it now. This is a left-wing problem. It will swing back. You know, I reckon we'll see it pretty soon. I think that that's what I've been saying for a while in a way is that, is that snowflakery as a concept is the problem. It's not the point of origin because it can clearly come from both sides. You know, even while I understood with the Lineker thing, I do, I do think that if you're a BBC highest paid star, there's obviously some things that go with the territory where you just got to think twice yeah. about the impact of stuff. But also it was a very neat way of, of sort of, exp- sort of popping the balloon of what a lot of people have been saying for a long time, both on the right showing that they could be sensitive about things, but on the left, just having to concede that cancel culture well, is a thing. I've never been bothered by sensitivity and I've never been bothered by people being offended or upset or outraged by things. I mm. think that's fine. That's a natural human emotion. Like my problem with it is then taking it the next step and saying, and because I'm outraged, you've got to ban it because mm. I'm outraged. No, everyone should be outraged. That's the, that's the problem. The problem isn't people being sensitive. I like, cause that's, that's what free speech is. You get to say what you want and, and criticize what you want. Mm. Uh, it's that, it's that, it's the, 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 the philosophy that believes that words and art and popular culture has a trickle down effect and makes 
working class people go mad. And that's that's the thing that that people on the right and left share. And that's the step that has been disproven, by the way, over many, many decades of research. It's called media effects theory. It's not a thing. People don't change their behavior because of the, the popular culture they consume. We know that. So why does everyone buy into this and say, yeah, well, so we've got to make sure we ban books? And I'm not talking about like sexually inappropriate stuff for kids. Of course, that's a different. I'm talking about adults. I'm talking about the, the stuff that adults consume, you know. I've often often thought that about like tabloid newspapers, like people talk about tabloid mentality, and there is this this view on the left that that it with, that they shape what the public are. Right. That that's yeah. what they do. And I always thought the the structure of a tabloid newspaper is essentially I thought it was more of a mirror in a way. You know, I, li- I mean, right. one of them is literally called the mirror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's one thing I've always annoyed me actually about about left wing and right wing publications is is the left wing ones always have names that are a bit self congratulatory like. The Guardian, the Independent, yeah. the Mirror to society. Whereas the, the, the right wing ones are generally like, we're going to tell you what's happening. The Times, or, the or Telegraph, like, or the Mail. We're just going to send you stuff. Yeah, the Guardian, the I mean, the Observer. <laughs> oh, mate, I got to do this as a bit, haven't I? These fucking yeah. <laughs> just giving themselves a little pat on the back. But and but if you look at a tabloid newspaper, they they'll go right. Okay, it, people people are worried about the big news. They like holidays. They like sport, and they're worried about money. I mean, it literally is just just a sort of a way of flicking through. Because otherwise, they wouldn't work, would they? If they didn't right. reflect those things. Yeah, absolutely right. That's what it is. I've never thought of that before. I'm going to start noticing that all the all the time now. The really pompous. yeah. I mean, once upon a time it was tits as well. Let's be honest. It yeah. was like, what do people care about tits? I mean, I don't think that's changed personally. You just can't have them. So the main talking point. One of my super patrons, uh, David Domain, he picks up on stuff from the last episode, and we were talking about. We spoke last week with Tobias Pearson, who's done oh, yeah. um, Comedy Unleashed, of course, brilliant comic, and we were talking about you know, the predominance of English-speaking programmes in Sweden. Midsummer Murders is one of the highest-rated shows in Sweden. Really? Uh, yeah. Neil Dudgeon has noticed that it often gets 50% viewing share there, and he was once mobbed by a coachload of Swedish tourists in Oxfordshire. Because of my Benny Hill mentality, I can't get out of my mind that that is a coachload of attractive blonde ladies getting off a bus and chasing him around. But that's... It probably is. <laughs> it probably is. I mean, they're, they're good-looking people. They are. Well, we, we were sort of saying there's a lot of pressure to be Swedish and not be good looking. Um, look, at, look at Tobias. Like he's, he's like a he's pretty boy. Viking. Yeah, know? he is a beautiful Viking. Um, the Normans. I was also talking. I, I've been just catching up on my history, Andrew. I'm not the most educated man. And it really pissed me off last week that the Normans, how long they stuck around for. I thought they just turn up, they won a fight, and then they went, all right, see you later. But, you know, we no, they were here for ages. I mean, our. Our monarchs didn't speak English for many centuries. You know? I'm getting annoyed again. It's an absolute <laughs> piss take. Absolute piss take. But, you know, it, there was, of course, common law and Magna Carta were introduced during this time, as David rightly points out. And it, and it got me thinking is that, you know, what is, when you talk about colonisation and stuff and any benefits that come from it, is there a statute of limitations to when you can acknowledge that? So is it a number of centuries... Is it to do with were the colonisers the same colour as you? Because you can definitely sit there and go, well, yeah, well, there were certainly, you know, things that developed for the better as a consequence of that. I think you should be allowed to. I mean, you know, if you go to the sort of, you go to Rome and, you 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 know, you look around the, those, those beautiful buildings, the Pantheon, you know, for God's mm. sake, the Colosseum and all of these things built by a society that not only kept slaves, 
But, but you know, the, the mark of a decent emperor was how many countries he conquered. That was how, mm. you know, they even added it to their name, Britannicus yeah. or whatever. But, you know, they, they, it was a sort of fundamental part of them. But they were pretty nasty people, all in all. So you've just got to... The, the the cultural benefits of of those things. I mean slavery similarly with ancient Greece you know you know they gave us democracy they gave us mm. philosophy uh, but they were only able to do all this stuff because they had slaves to do all the menial stuff that's how they got their leisure time so at what point do we say actually that some good came out of that even though it's horrible what happened I don't know I think I'm never never forgiven the Normans never I'm just can't get over the Norman thinking is that because it's too recent like the Greeks and the Romans mm. you know you go back longer. Well, no, I'm just, I, I might get. It's just the shock of knowing how long they're around for. I feel a bit, I feel a bit embarrassed <laughs> to be honest. I think it's actually more about me in a, in a way. But if yeah. I see any of those Normans, mate, if I see them strutting uh -oh. around, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll probably do that ancestry thing now and find you're, out. You're probably I'm, part Norman. I was going to. I'm say. probably. Look, you will be. Like we're all mongrels, aren't you? We're going to be part of everything. I um, we got new patrons to welcome. Uh, we got a welcome to the show, Jim Donnett. Jim Donnett, who just sounds like a, a private investigator. Jim, Jim Donnett. Yeah. Jim Donnett investigates. One of those <laughs> no, 90s shows that you got from yeah. the US where, because they have commercial breaks so often, you would have a commercial break. Because we only had one commercial break. There'd be one weird bit where it fades to black and comes back. But those shows aren't really reflective of what private investigators do. Are they? I mean, because it's mostly just following people who are having affairs. Yeah, cards, isn't it? that's basically what it is. It's a pervy job. It's a job for people. It's a pervy job, and also people that get in divorce that that want to prove that um, that their partner was cheating on them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's Why a tricky get... meeting that? Because essentially, someone's giving you the job, but please prove that my wife's shagging someone else, and then you have to go and go. Um, yeah, and he's um, he looks tall in this photo, but he weren't that tall, and um, it might look like he's got a really cool sports car, but I, to be honest, I think it was a rental. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to spare the guy's pride no but i think they probably get off on that aspect too because why else would you go into that job you know i think they probably enjoy like how do you get into that job do you sort of talk to your careers advisor at school and say yeah i want to i want to spy on people having sex in cars and take photos of them yeah that's for a, I'm a nosy bastard um and i want to i want to monetize it yeah <laughs> um d we've also got brian tukey who just sounds like a sort of new jersey criminal um, Brian, hey, it's Brian, Brian Tukey. Brian Tukey. <laughs> it actually sounds like a nickname, doesn't it? Sounds, oh, like a nickname. sounds like the bit that goes in the middle in inverted commas. Brian Tukey. Tukey. Gonzalez or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're just going to do a quick thank you and a fuck you. Um, Andrew's going to handle the, the fuck you. I'll do the thank you. I was listening to Ian Dale, friend of the show. I was listening to his uh, great LBC podcast, cross question last night and he had Jeremy Corbyn on as he often does Corbyn's actually a pretty good guest I think but he um he he did you know the track and trace thing you know that thing online of people going 37 billion on track and trace you go it was not track and trace I mean it's just become an obsession it was test and trace and the overwhelming majority of it was spent correctly on testing everyone every fucking day anyway so yeah. like it's become almost a, a joke of retweeting people it's almost like that Richard Herring international when's international men's day sort oh, of thing yeah. Yeah. Corbyn mentioned the track and trace thing on air. He said, and um, you know, he has that weird sort of self-satisfied sniff of air that he does after he thinks he's made a great point, Corbyn. Yeah. He said, I mean, he goes, he didn't even get the number right. And he went, and and um, what about 35 billion for track and trace? Mm -hmm. He did that weird noise. I just thought this, every once in a Nailed while, Jer him up on it. 
Did no, Dale... well, no, he had to go to a break, but um, yeah. I think he was already sort of getting ready for the commercial break. But the I just thought the yeah, every once in a while, Jeremy Corbyn will remind people why they didn't vote for him at the last election because he's just yeah, not. He he's sort of just he. He's sort of like a, a politically militant guy who works for the local council, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I fell for it. I voted for him in 2017. And then and, and it was simply down to that thing of I felt like he was saying what he thought. I thought he was principled. And he didn't, mm. he didn't strike me as someone who had that filter, you know, that, mm. that, PR, that spin filter, that some, like someone who's constantly got Alistair Campbell whispering in their ear or something like that. He didn't oh. like that to me. Um well, you, I mean, you mentioned about Alistair Campbell. Another thing I've been getting, this is, uh, my history, I, I'm, I'm just listening to history and get annoyed about stuff. I was listening to stuff about the Iraq war and, you know, the, the, what happened around the, the David Kelly affair. The fact yeah. that Alistair Campbell is still around in British politics talking about the Tories dragging it into the gutter. And you I mean, just... it's worse than that. He goes online about how the importance of mental health and being kind and everything. And he just lays in to people who have the slightest different point of view. He can be quite aggressive and, and bullyish, you know, it's weird. I just think, like, what must it be to, like, people in, in Iraq, like, if you were to explain to them, you know that guy, you know, who was part, I mean, he was part of the communications team yeah. that, that took a, a, a claim that was from a single source about the 45 minutes weapon, uh, WMDs that could be deployed in 45 minutes, a single unreliable source and he was part of the, he was director of communications and they and they ran with that and that was one yeah. of the main ways they sold to British people. I mean, you just go right party gate. I mean, it's fucking. We're not even talking about playing the same sport, let alone the same league. You could say the same about Joe Biden taking that selfie with Jerry Adams the other day. You know, like you, you, it, you, we can go back and forth. I know Jerry Adams has always denied that he had been a member of the IRA, but by the way, in Northern Ireland, my family, Northern Irish. That mm. is hilarious. It's considered a really funny thing <laughs> because everyone knew that he was chief of staff of the IRA and he was on the army yeah. council. Everyone knew this. It's not It's not something that people don't know. Uh, and the idea that he's not a divisive figure who's been invo involved with this stuff is nonsense, you know? What about your... That? Is that libel because he's... I don't he's... know. I don't know. I mean, you, you're more in telly and stuff, so you would have... Uh... You, I don't is think that, so. is it... What I'll say is uh, there have been numerous... Uh, reports and books written that identify him as being a member of the army council and the chief of staff of the IRA. And I think it's fair to say that that is accurate to report that it is a running joke in particularly in the North. It Island, is based it on is. the fact that pretty much everyone thinks that's what happened. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think we're covered there. Should we do, uh, <laughs> should, we, should we do your fuck you? My fuck you is definitely to the publishers of the new versions of P.G. Woodhouse novels. This is Penguin Random House. And you know we've had a bit of a rash of this with like mm. Roald Dahl's book being being Roald Dahl's book being rewritten badly to make them uh, less funny and effective. Uh, and Agatha Christie, it happened to her books, etc. Um, and now they've done it with P.G. Woodhouse. That, you know, you know, for the first time I'm thinking this has got to be the point where people say no because P.G. Woodhouse, one of the best prose stylists in the English language, you don't touch that prose, right? Simon mm. Evans wrote a really good piece about this in Spike. He is just, he's one of my favourite novelists. And so when they go after the things I love, <laughs> well, mm. mind you, Dahl was one of my favourite novelists as a kid. And and, mm. I, and I just kind of think, these people are so talentless. These sensitivity readers, these people in publishing, they think they can improve P.G. Woodhouse. That takes balls of steel to say that. I mean, mm. you, have, you know, that that is, it's not just that they think it's offensive or whatever. They think they can, change it make it better i mean this the the level of narcissism and arrogance is unbelievable um so that has annoyed me somewhat um and also woodhouse is the most inoffensive possible 
author. I mean, the reason they're upset is because there are some racial epithets that we no longer use, but that's because mm. he was writing a long time ago. Can people just get this into their heads? <laughs> that times change. I think it's, it's so, so strange because, like, the British public, right, and in any country, I'm sure this is the case, that you have older relatives that you dine with who occasionally say things that, that are genuinely problematic, right? Yeah. But we all apply on a day-to-day -day basis. Those are people that are still alive mm. uh, on a day-to-day -day basis that while we try and encourage them to use those, not use those words, we'll also understand they grew up in a different time. So this is what I don't get is that you can understand it as a localised level how context works. And yet yeah. when you get into the rarefied world of certain publishing houses, they can't even apply that to things said, you know, 100 years ago. And again, it comes back to this thing of they believe that if that the word these words themselves have some kind of toxic magical property, and if they're on mm. the printed page, it spreads out, and all of a sudden everyone turns into a racist. You know, they've got this idea that that's how it works. I I hate that they go after the arts and literature. To me, that's the red line. Like it really mm. is. Like it just it like advertising is one thing. I know that like most adverts are now sermons. You know, implicit kind of sermons about diversity and social justice and and. Um, because they think the plebs need need that education. Um, literature, just fuck off. Honestly, like it's 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 because there is nothing that won't be rewritten by these standards. It also indicates their particular pet peeves. You know, mm. they will rewrite PG Woodhouse because certain uh, certain outdated elements uh, to it. But they leave other things. They leave they leave um, uh, Stephen King's novels about graphic torture and serial killers and demons ripping children's heads off that's that's okay but they'll just go after the the stuff that they get upset about you know it's 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 paternalistic it's annoying fuck more than annoying guys. it's actually philistinism i'm just gonna that's what it is it's philistinism and also i've always said a sensitivity reader i i just i think that i just don't understand the process of how you you give somebody that job because is the process that they have to be quite sensitive because then that is not an that's not an objective kind of representation of your average reader. I think sensitivity readers must be among the worst people in the world, up there with with cannibals. <laughs> uh, they must be like the worst, just the worst people to know. Because they, in order to take that job, you have to mm. be so convinced of your moral superiority, and that you. Can you, you imagine the. Can you also imagine like the domestic arguments if you're married to a sensitivity reader? Like, you know, like some people bring their work home. Like I sometimes on a Saturday morning, I'm trying to be funny to my wife. She's like, you're not at work now. Yeah. And then th th their partner says something about, you know, God, this is, uh, you've been cracking the whip today. And they're like, look, I just so you know that that phrase has the etymology of that. You're like, okay, we're not at work now. None of them are married. None of them can <laughs> be married. It's not possible. These are not, these are not marriage people. They can't do that. They retain their friendships through power, clearly, and, and intimidation and fear. This is why I'm not. I I do. I don't. I don't feel like I would ever be one to part of that group. You know, I feel like I feel a mm. bit sad for them because the real extreme social justice activists, they, they they must live in constant fear of each other because because they yeah. turn on each other so much. They it must be like being friends with with someone who 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 is a bit psychotic and might might rip your throat out at any point. It's a bit like that scene in Goodfellas where everyone's sitting around laughing at the jokes because if they don't laugh enough, they might get shot. You know, uh, it's that constant fear they must live through. I don't... Everyone, I, I, I think that's a brilliant analogy. All those guys, they're all, they're all Ray Liotta. Yeah, they're all Ray Liotta. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't pity them. I feel sorry for them. I really do. And I imagine like that one. With that burden of thinking that the world is just toxic and full of fascists and... And it's your job to police it. And if only everyone would just think the way that you do and use the words that you want them to use, everything would be all right. That must be exhausting. These poor people, we should be helping them. 
All right, let's get on to talking about, uh, well, another poll lead which shows a narrowing of Labour's lead. Okay, so a bit of context here. I mentioned a poll last week that showed Labour's lead had narrowed, and there's another one from Redfield and Wigfield or something. There's um, one of these polling companies that they seem to be consistently showing the Labour lead being smaller. So obviously that's the one that I've chosen to focus on for yeah. <laughs> reasons you could probably speculate on. Um, but the, it's, what's significant about this one is, is it shows a, a Labour lead this week of 12 points. So anything less than 14 means coalition. Um, so... I guess what I just wanted to to get a just a general view of how you think you know Labour are progressing as the probable next government, and, and you know what's happening with this slight chiselling away at their poll lead. Is it though? I mean, or is it just a one-off? I just you know they've been pretty consistently ahead in the polls, mm. haven't they? And you know you you can take that sort of glimmer of hope from seeing that uh, poll by what was it Wigfield? Does she do that now? Is that her job? Yeah, now? yeah. Oh, Saturday my. night, I God see a slight. Contraction of the lead in key marginals. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever remembers her follow-up hit. I feel bad. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, I think I think they they are definitely the next government. I don't think there's any chance of that of that changing really. But then uh, you know, next biggest think, definitely government or biggest party. I think they'll be. I don't think it'll be a coalition. I think they'll be in government. I think they'll have a majority. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, but I'm worried about that because firstly, because Keir Starmer is the most tedious man in the world. I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I know Sunak's not exactly uh, mm. Tarzan or anything, but it's like they're, bo- they're both as dull as each other. But uh, I don't think we know enough about Labour, this current Labour. Like, like, could you name three or four members of the Shadow Cabinet? Could you do that off the top of your head? Um, I could, because oh, I'm a nerd, I'll, I'll go Nandy, Rayner, Streeting, but I sort of run out about there. Maybe Rachel Reeves, and, but that's that's someone that follows politics exactly. a lot. Exactly, most people couldn't get beyond Starmer. They could do mm. Rayner because she 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 shouts about Tories being scums. They remember that, and they, she does the basic instinct thing with the legs. That's why people <laughs> remember her. But they, we don't really know about. There are some people who I, you know, Nick Thomas Simmons. Do you know who? Like, no, you know they is don't. Guy called even... Steve Reed is there, or is he a Tory? Yeah. I, I don't know. No, Bridget Philipson. But is that <laughs> is that uh, it, you know is that not often the case? No, I suppose under Corbyn, no, but... what you had was the power four, didn't you? For several years, you had Corbyn, Thornbury, yeah. Abbott, and McDonnell, and him. Yeah, exactly. But at least for a long you had time. those sort of stars and those names, and the, like we know mm. the 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 the, the Brabhamans and the Rabs and the Patels, and the, like we know the Tories make an impact. You know. And whether you like them or hate them, people know of them and know what they're doing. But we don't really know who these people are in Labour and who they, who, what they stand for. I don't know what Keir Starmer stands for, you know? Well, I mean, now there are quite significant videos which show him literally flipping on, on, on a number of issues. There's sort of six Everything. or seven issues where he said one thing and done the other. Jeremy Corbyn is my friend. Jeremy Corbyn's not my friend. We're going to privatise, uh, we're going to nationalise utilities. We're not going to nationalise utilities. Yeah. And I know that he would say that, well, COVID happened in between. The problem is, is do people believe that? Because I'm, I just sort of think that he is now thinking almost exclusively in terms of winning back red wall seats, but also how certain right-wing press are going to portray him. And so what you're getting is an incredibly inauthentic sort of view of, of a of politician. I just want a choice. I want a choice. I want to know what politicians believe honestly mm. and openly so I can vote for them. And I want a choice between it. I don't want, 
I don't like this this sort of uh, which has been going on for ages that Labour and the Tories are basically indistinguishable. Really, you know, there's not enough between them. I'd rather something was much further left coming from Labour and and a bit more conservative coming from Conservatives. That would be because then it gives us an option, it gives us a choice, and we know what we're voting for. I know Starmer. I absolutely don't know what he stands for, and he's you know. Uh, he said, you know, he he doesn't know what a woman is. He's now said what he's gone to 99.9% of women don't have penises. I think before he was saying 99%. So he's moving. He's getting okay. closer Progress. to that magic. He's getting closer to the magic number, which is 100%, which um, every child knows. So he's getting there. You know what I mean? He's, he's almost there. But uh, and that, that sort of thing bothers me. You know, if he can't tell the truth about that, about something we all know, well, you know, who is yeah, I, I, on that issue, I don't know. You know, I don't honestly know what he thinks, and I th feel like everything that he says now is is expedient. And I would say, like, I've taken the piss out of him for a while because you know, so well, someone had to at a point. But you know, we should always have that kind of satirical scrutiny on our politicians. I've moved to now finding him quite a slightly worrying person because of the more that he he pivots and changes yeah. his opinion, and maybe it's because I listened to that thing on the Iraq War. The more Blairite and spinny he becomes, you start going, "What would he do for pragmatism?" You know, right. like because ultimately, yeah. the, when 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 push came to shove, I, I believe that Tony Blair went ahead with the decision to invade Iraq out of pragmatism because of where he'd got to at a certain yeah. point in time. I sort of look at Starmer. I think I reckon you'd do something similar, given you know push came to shove. I just don't know what he thinks. Right, <laughs> someone who's that inscrutable. I don't. I mm. don't. I don't know what he believes. I don't know what his principles are, you know? Well, so, but is it, so is it, their argument would be that there's no point in, in, in being clear about that now because we're still far enough out from an election. So if he was to do that, the Tories would then know what the, the target was and they would spend the next year he, and a half shooting it down. But he must know what he thinks about stuff. You know, at least with Angela Rayner, you know what she thinks. She, she, mm. she says it. I, like, I don't, why, I don't, I want to know who he is and what he thinks about stuff, not, not what's going to be in the manifesto. That, those are, uh, those are things develop out of those corporate. yeah no i think you make an interesting point yeah these aren't policy decisions they're like who are you as a person by now three and a half years into the job we should actually have a strong sense of who he is as a, like as we a person of, we, we always knew what boris was even though he's a liar and he's full of bluster and you know mm. that was that's part of it we, we know he can't be trusted but is that all we know about starmer i don't know i don't even know that i don't know that like, well i i do th i did think that the um the attack ads felt very personally approved from Starmer to me because his his ratings aren't outstripping the Sunaks no. to the degree that the Labour parties are the the Tory party. So I get the impression he's just gone like, let's have a fight on law and order. You know what right. I mean? And he's picked a fight. Maybe. But the main takeaway was that they lied. That's not a successful piece of campaigning. I don't. Think. Well, it can be. I mean, Biden won on the basis that he wasn't Donald Trump. And maybe yeah. Starmer wants to win on the basis that he's not Rishi Sunak. But Rishi, Rishi Sunak's not Donald Trump, is it? No, exactly. He's not an egregious, he's not a, yeah. that kind of level of toxicity. He's just similarly boring public school boy, same as Starmer. He's, you know, it's... Maybe they should just go, like, if they want to go negative campaigning, just go, look at Rishi Sunak's face. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that smile really fucking annoying? <laughs> what is he smiling about? That's what I would say. Just pose a rhetorical question. That would be more fun. It, well, it's going to go very attack addy, isn't it? It's going to be a very American style. Yeah, because the thing is, is that what you've got is two parties, two sort of ideologically bald men fighting over a comb, right? So yeah. it's the only way that they can make out that there's significant difference is to have a fight. The problem is, though, you know, we, we live in this post-presidential style world, you know, like ever since Blair and even Thatcher, mm. you know, that 
we, there is now an expectation with the British electorate that your prime minister is going to be charismatic. That's now just a default thing. Hmm. Now you've got two candidates, neither of they're both equally tedious. They're both equally uninspiring. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I don't know what they're going to argue about. I think, all it would take is for one side to put up a candidate that's got a bit of charisma and they've sort of got it in the bag, I think. Well, it's interesting because what you get is on the one side, there are people that were, were hated Boris and hate the Tories. And like, look, I, I, I'm i more than ready for boring. You know, we've seen what happens when you have charisma. But equally, you know, when, when Nicola Sturgeon stepped down, they were quick to acknowledge the power of communication there. You go, yeah. you can't just discount the idea that you need to sell concepts to the public, right? You, you, really? that's, I mean, that was Blair's biggest skill was that he could sell. He was a brilliant salesman in a way. So they, but they, but what they really mean, I suppose, is simply why well, I didn't like charisma in the Boris style, but I liked it when it came from Nicola Sturgeon. But it's this, it's not, I'm not saying they're the same as people. Well, although, you know, give it time, see what, see what, see what charges get uh, leveled. Um, but you have to be able to flog an idea. Yeah, you do. Can, I mean, can Humza Youssef flog an idea? I don't think he can do that either. Uh, well, He's flogging a dead horse at the moment, Doily. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, he, he creeps me out. Because, I mean, he he was the one who did that hate crime bill. He pushed that through, and that was the, yeah, yeah. the most authoritarian, scary thing. I, I, I know, and, and and it's weird, like, the degree of continuity sturgeon that's going on there. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, it's well, he's, a... gonna pers- he's like, we're taking the British to court over this. We're going to persist with it. He's going to persist with the policy that two-thirds of his own voters didn't like and unseat and helped unseat one of the most popular british politicians in 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 decades really yeah i mean i think that was one of the major reasons why she got unseated i know people say it's because the the police ended up sniffing in her garden and stuff like that which doesn't look Mm. good either but really i mean talk about like they don't learn why don't they learn i don't get it why doesn't hamza yusuf just look at that and think okay maybe i should reflect on whether this was right or not and maybe well, it's over leveraging. I suppose what there was was there was this strange fault line of just people that simply wanted independence and people that wanted a, a very uh, like hard progressive um, agenda. And it was always there with the SNP. But yeah. what it did was it just put it front and centre. Is is that you know there are a lot a lot of people in this party that are sort of using independence as a Trojan horse to get other things done. And yeah. um, you know, in terms of the Labour Party, the um, you know you you were saying. That, you know, in terms of who they are, there's Gareth Roberts. I mean, I definitely know about Gareth writes for Spectator, used to write for Doctor Who. He's a very funny guy. Oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah, well, he's done, he's done an article for Spectator, which I'd, I'd encourage everybody to check out. And he sort of like, do, it hilariously describes who's in the Shadow Cabinet. But there's a couple of descriptions that I wanted to pick out. He talks about Emily Thornbury and he says, um, she's a lesser figure in the backdrop of a Map and Lucia novel. The widow of a colonel taking the rolls to do her marketing, her marketing in the main drag of Tilling. For an emissary of the party of working people, she has an unfortunate air of addressing anybody as if they were the butcher's boy. I just <laughs> That's great. Gareth's brilliant. I think he's really funny. He, well, I mean, the thing about Emily Thornberry, right, is what people, I guess, on the left is they spent a long time that there are kind of bogeymen on the right, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, people that boil their piss. I think Emily Thornberry is one of the closest to that for people on the right. Like for me, she's the one that... Re- There's certain characters in the Shadow Cabinet I could live with, but she she makes me bristle a little bit. You know, ever since the white van thing, she was the one who did that tweet, wasn't she? I mean, that was pretty... Yes. I mean, and she couldn't really... Have- she may as well have tweeted out, I just, I hate working class people. I just hate them. <laughs> Which, and again, I would have preferred that. I would have admired that a lot yeah. more. 
know, it's this kind of just be worst open, part man. of my job is being around twats like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the more sky dishes, the more scumbags. We're just going to do um, a quick hype here. So obviously my book is available for pre-order now. The British bloke decoded. Thanks to anybody that's um, already uh, got their pre-order in for that. It's out in September. Uh, I've got some work in my work in progress tour starts this week in Kingston. I've got some dates that most of those have been sold out for ages, but there are a couple of dates with tickets left. One in Darwin in Lancashire and one in Wolverhampton. Well, it's not even Wolverhampton. It's in Bilston. Which is I don't know if you've ever been there, Andrew. Um, Never it's been one to of those, No. Yeah, I. There's some places where that if you take the piss out of it, people get defensive locally. But there's some places that almost if you don't take the piss out of it, people feel like you're patronising them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought that applied to Wolverhampton as well, but there we go. There's a touch of that. Bilston is is like Wolverhampton, but more so. Let's, oh, let's just okay. Leave. Let's so it just should leave be just it. Wolverhampton Plus. It should be called Wolver- <laughs> a suburb. Of yeah. uh, of Wolverhampton, um, I know that you are. We were going to, sorry, we we're going to talk about it earlier, but you're currently in the process of putting together a program for GB News with John Cleese. Am I right? I am, uh, and that's we start filming this week, so that is uh, very exciting. So um, it's a series, and uh, each ser- each episode has a different topic, a different theme. You know, whatever it might be, religion or mm. the press, uh, that kind of thing. And um, the whole the whole thing. I'm producing the show. And John is doing it, steering it, and, and like it's all the the people he wants to talk to about the things he wants to talk to, and uh, it it should be a lot of fun. I think I think it will be really interesting. And when when is that going to air? That I don't know. I don't know. It'll be later this year. Um, yeah. But um, we've got some really interesting people on on the show who I'm not allowed to reveal as yet. But um, also, well, just so, think- say one of them. I'll edit it out, but then I'll give a reaction. I, I can't do that. I, I, I promise. I promise. I, I will let it out. I promise. I, no, but I really can't. I've, I've been told. Oh, you can't even tell me. I, I can't tell anyone. Right. So that's that's the thing. Fucking hell. That's exciting. No. That's almost yeah. That, that's better than what I had in mind. All right. Well, that sounds. <laughs> that sounds interesting. And and also, uh, your your the paperback of your book, the New Puritans, is out. Yeah. So that's out in a couple of weeks. Um, which is great because uh, uh yeah, it's it's nice having the paperback out because you can you can put all the press quotes on. All the lovely yeah. reviews and things, which you couldn't do with the original thing. So, people if you've got them, I mean, if you've got those things, I, I had. Luckily, I did. You know, I was expecting more aggression from the uh, certain quarters. But what happened is the papers who would obviously hate it, like the Guardian and the New States, but mm. they just didn't read it, or the, mm. or they they just didn't review it. I think they've started to work out that when they slate stuff, I do it. I it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the validation that you need. Did you have on Amazon? Because obviously on Amazon, anybody can leave a, a review. Oh yeah. What What was your most obviously hasn't read the book review? I mean, to be honest, I haven't I haven't looked, and I should yeah. really. But there, I, I I did have when I first posted about the book. I actually had people on Twitter tell me they said I'm going to bomb this with negative reviews on Amazon. Like that. So don't you're mm. revealing your hand there uh, a little bit. But that's what they do, isn't it? So I'm sure there's going to be some on there saying how evil and vicious it was i had some guy say that they were going to burn the book uh i had someone else saying that it, it looks like the sort of thing like an alt-right manifesto written by or read by someone who goes off to shoot up a neighborhood uh i had people like Fucking saying up. all this sort of stuff and actually what the book is is a defense of social liberalism um you know but it's, <laughs> but you know it's fine like 
people have their but, you know, no, but Andrew, that's not who they think you are. No, and I know. I think I know. We've got to understand is what it's most important thing is what they think that you think. Because the book is it's called The New Puritans, How the Religion of Social Justice Captured the Western World. So I suppose you could have a knee-jerk reaction to that title. But the mm. truth is that the religion of social justice is an anti-liberal movement. It is essentially authoritarian. And therefore the book has to defend liberalism um and and progress. And so therefore, um, but of course, in order to sort of get that far, they'd have to read the book, consider the arguments, and then rebut. So it's mm. much easier to just say, actually, he's just a fascist. And also, the, the, you being reasonable is probably the most obnoxious thing that you could do to them, because that means that they then have to take one of their little sort of pet opinions yeah. and, and, re, and revise it. And that's just, people haven't got time to do that. Which is rather why I suspect I haven't been reviewed by that by the more sort of activist contingent of the press, because I just think, I, I suspect some of them have started to read it and thought, oh, this isn't what we wanted it to be. They, they sort of want it, they sort of want it to be, uh, oh my God, these snowflakes, like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. whatever. They, they want that, and it isn't that. You know, yeah, well, you, I suppose what you could get is oh, oh, these days Andrew Doyle's pretending to be measured, but isn't that what the Nazis did? There we go. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that, no, that isn't actually what the Nazis did. Okay, um, let's get on to talking about our second main topic, which is about what Rishi Sunak said about getting maths back in schools. So another interesting clip to watch was uh, Rishi Sunak did a press conference. There is this weird obsession that Rishi's got with maths. Is I think this has happened before where everyone's talking about the big issues. And, you know, he has done some big things like, the you know, he's been involved in the trade deal, uh, the Windsor framework. You know, there's been some big deal stuff. But every once in a while, he just pops up and goes, maths. And um, it's kind of odd. Um, he did a press conference whereby... He then um, sort of said any questions to the kind of young audience and no one had any questions. There's this quite embarrassing clip of him just going, no, no, nobody, nobody. And then he actually manages to get a laugh, which I thought was quite uh, impressive in a way. But it did sort of remind me with my work in progress shows coming up of, you know, when you're doing crowd work because you haven't got the full hour yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's going, you, this guy, Ed, what'd you do for it? No, no. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Q&A, Q&A. Anybody Q&A? Um, but it did make me think, you know, there is one, I suppose this is quite a small C conservative feeling, is that they're just not teaching maths in school. That's just what you feel when you're small C conservative. I'm not sure that that's yeah. true. Is that any reason to you make maths compulsory to the age of 18? You know, I think that's, mm. that's harsh, I think. I think because that would have driven me out of sixth form college straight away. Personally, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most, it's not the fun subject, is it? Really, it's not. It's not. Look, this this goes back to this point about just as Starmer is really tedious, Sunak's really tedious, and like, I know he needs a thing. He needs like a shtick. He needs he needs something he can wave around. But maths isn't sexy. It's like mm. it's no one gets turned on by an abacus. You know, you like that. No, the the electorate is not going to think this is wow. This is dynamic. This is go getting. Mm. He's talking about finally how, someone said what I've been thinking. He's right. a maths till to the age of eighteen. Just a weird one to sort of be his campaign, you know. It's it's. Do you, do you think that in when he sits around with his spads and stuff, like there's some, like every once in a while they've got to let him do one of these because it's a big thing for him. But they, well, I guess they, they it is a big thing. I mean, it's his thing, isn't it? He loves maths. Mm. He loves well money. You know, he's you know he's married mm. well. Um, he's he's got he's got a lot of it. He's a uh, he's a. Uh, what what did, what would this look like? What would his maths campaign look like? 
I mean, what? what I, don't, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is the likelihood. So all, all politicians would probably think about legacy, and he's got to be realistic that he might be in the job a very short amount of time. But his legacy might just be one that people fucking resent. Like yeah. it's not going to be a good legacy. Is sitting there at the age at the age of seventeen. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, instinctively, it does appeal to people. I guess the idea, like we're a good deal, three hours, you know. No, that, they should be doing that. Yeah, in schools they should be doing that. And of course people but I aren't they? I, I mean I think they are, yeah. yeah I, I do think that they are. They're doing literacy and numeracy. I mean, if they're not, that's a scandal. Absolutely mm. getting there. But my question wouldn't be, you know, how do we make sure they're teaching maths? So my question would be, why aren't they doing that already? What's going on? That's insane. Yeah, because you can actually legally enforce the national curriculum. Yeah. Um, right. The, I mean, the other thing about him, this, I've just got to mention it in passing because this isn't what the subject's about, is he's being investigated by the Standards Committee for potentially not declaring an interest. There was something in the budget that might have benefited his wife. Oh, that's so boring as well. Like His wife was a stakeholder, shareholder in a, a yeah. childcare company and then something that Sunak, one of the bills that they put through might have benefited... Yeah, I mean, isn't it fair to say that his wife is so wealthy and has so many business interests that there's a chance that every single thing he does as prime minister might benefit? He'll have a stake in everything. She's got fingers in every pie. Yeah, it's you know, it's not, it's but again, like it's babysitting. This isn't exciting. This isn't mm. sleaze. Like they're they're calling this sleaze, but it's not exciting enough to be sleaze. You know? No, didn't Starmer got done for um, taking football tickets as well? Some free, really? some free. <laughs> oh come yeah. on. This I is know, I, know. I want like more like Trump, you know, paying hush money to a porn star. That's that's please. Yeah, that, the Ameri- like... Americans they do it a bit, but I want to find out what shape a politician's penis is yeah. through the process of a, of a court hearing. Exactly. That's what you know. <laughs> why can't we have that? What um, if you could like just just teach something like more more in schools? If you if there was something you, you just per the personal bugbear of like. Um, you'd something more emphasis on. I'd like to teach people how to find their seats on public transport and sit the fuck down promptly. Yeah. I'd like I think we can do little to... classes on that. Yeah. Or not to talk in cinemas. How about that? Fuck off. Yeah, like... basic de- public decency as well. Like, I, I mean, I know that it gets mentioned a lot about like playing stuff out of your phones, but that could be taught in schools to go, all right, the world's changed. You know, we had yeah. to keep Britain tidy. How about... Keep your fucking stupid music down. I think that's really important. Just, just teaching people not to be dicks is really good, and to be to be to be a bit more considerate, to to not assume they're the center of the earth. But the problem is that that is kind of built into teaching practice now. In other mm. words, you know, if you've got any problems at all, anything at all, you come to me. I will help you sort it out. You know, the result of that is everyone thinks they're the most important thing. You well, know, PSHE I, I, is. Sorry, mate, you were going to say? No, I just, I preferred it when they were dismissive. Like when I was at school, teachers were, you know, mm. they just, did, they were dismissive of you and they didn't care about it. And that was better in a way. It was like, the most honest to say that you were a very small, trivial yeah. feature of the world. So that, act that accordingly. Can that can go a bit too far. <laughs> I mean, we had a teacher who gave a, an assembly, a whole school assembly about when, when we were applying for university and she said, we all need to lower our aspirations. She said, <laughs> uh, she said I've looked at your applications. It's <laughs> You, you know, you need. I see. I admire that as well, in a way. <laughs> Just going like some of you have got to wind your necks in. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. It's like on. It's like on X Factor with those parents that have clearly never told their kids that they can't sing. There's a value it... to it. There's a value to. It. Although she, I think, was working through some of her personal issues because she, she, she was a uh, an Olympic swimmer and she came last. And she mentioned it in the assembly. She said, "Look, I went to every swim meet. I practiced. 
didn't work out for me. So you guys, you've got to fail too. Oh my god, she was absolutely projected her own failure. Incredible. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. We yeah. had one teacher that he was. He often did supply in the school. He would stop most lessons at some point when you had him for supply. Go put your pens down, lads. You don't need to learn about English literature. What you need to do is join the British Army. I mean, he was yeah. almost. He was genuinely like a little Britain character. His catchphrase was, "What you really need to do is join the British Army." Wow. And he would just he would just go because men will find. It was a very Hemingway type thing. Like you'll find true meaning in conflict and, and manliness you will never get beyond this idea i know we talk a lot about like uh, the politicization of education but but teachers all have their thing and they're, they're yeah. trying to promote it's it's you've got a captive audience of people who will believe anything you know if you're going to proselytize become a teacher you know well i mine was me basically mine was that yeah. i'm a great guy and uh you know geez, i'm <laughs> charismatic so i was selling myself but there was certainly if you think about the things that you heard in staff rooms, it's it's fatuous to deny that it happens. I once got, when I was doing supply at a school in Stevenage, I once got dirty looks for having the Telegraph in there. Like, genuinely. Really? And, wow. Yeah, people being fucking weird with me. So people talk wow. about, oh, what's it like having voted for Tories in comedy? I'm like, absolutely nothing. It's a drop in the ocean compared to having, you know, being, a, being like that in teaching. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I would say... You know, I tried my best. I was aware that we're not meant to be political in in the classroom and everything. Or at least, if you are, you need to give the other side and sort of yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But the temptation's too much. I I I mean, I I think the kids knew full well how lefty I was, and but then I justified it to myself because the schools I was teaching were sort of posh private schools, which had an overwhelming right wing bias. And so yeah. I felt, oh, well, I'm correcting this a little bit, or I'm pushing back. But actually, I should have just shut shut up and not given give my opinion about anything really. Well, I mean, you got you got to give. I mean, it's like with my my son now. Is that he's asking? He's seven, but he's sort of asking about Brexit, you know, because he hears yeah. stuff on the news. And I really, I really objected to when Brexit was first voted for, and you saw those parents where they were sharing photos of their kids' letter about the EU, and you go, "This is so obviously like they're they're echoing everything that you've been shouting around the house for the last yeah, yeah. three weeks." So I do really try to say to him, you know, like, I, you know, he, mummy voted Remain, Daddy voted Leave, which, by the way, still fucking blows people's minds. Yeah. In certain metropolitan type circles. They, they, honestly, straight after the vote, I got the impression that there were a lot of people that honestly thought that I was living in the kind of household because of how I am, where I come in, demand my dinner on the table and tell my wife how she's going to vote. They genuinely... It, it is amazing given that I lost friends over Brexit and given that families mm. were torn up. But the idea that there is still a married couple together who voted... Yeah. Recently, um, I mean, it's testament to, the, to your... Uh... But I, I, I just tried to say to him, you know... Because he, he doesn't want to believe that daddy might have made a bad decision, you know, like, so he, see, he sees things on the news. But I just say, you know, there are people that think this and a lot of those people are wankers. That's, I mean, yeah, I yeah. think that's balance, isn't it? Well, you're not tempted, you and your <laughs> wife, just not to go out and vote because you, you just cancel each other out. Didn't think of that. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. Wait, didn't wait think, what, well, what a fucking bombshell that is. That could have saved me a lot of uh, trolling online. <laughs> All right, we're just going to do a couple of letters. I have, I don't know if you know now, but I've got the super board level uh, patrons now. These are people. So if on my Patreon you're already a member, you upgrade uh, to £20 a month, you get a signed copy of my last book. Um, you also, you can do meet and greets at the tour. Show. I'm basically prosing myself out here. Yeah. Um, the, and, and then, and the, but also when I have uh, guests such as yourself, friends of the shows, I, I, I put the feelers out for questions. We've got a couple today. If you've got five minutes more, just to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so a lot of big fans of yours out there. Um, this is from uh, David Price. Price is a big friend of the show and has been for a while. 
He says, hello, young man. I think that's probably more to you than me. Uh, if you have time, can you ask Andrew this? You said before that if an SDP candidate stood in your area, you'd vote for them. Do you still feel this way? From David Price, who is an SDP supporter. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm pretty sure I would because I, 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 I'm rarely in any form of disagreement with them at all uh, about anything. So, uh, and it's, it's really rare, isn't it? The idea that a party's manifesto sort of it tallies with most of the, 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 the way that you see the world. But they mm. do, you know, they've got, you know, they're they're sort of socially liberal uh, and uh, culturally a bit conservative and uh, economically left leaning. So it sort of just tallies with everything that, I've, you know, so I, I love all that. Um, it's, but, it's, it's like that first date where just everything clicks and you're like, it, it, just, it is. It's, it it's, actually freaks you out. You go away, you don't call them for a couple of weeks because well, it's I mean, too still, much. I, I would just ask people to look at the SDP's manifesto and, and tell me where they disagree and what, like, but, the, but I'm also, but I can't because they don't, they don't stand in my constituency and, and I don't think. And the, well, the, I mean, that's an interesting one for me coming up to the, the, the locals. I don't know who's standing in my area, but um, I'll, I'll certainly, I'll certainly give them a look. It, it is, it is weird, isn't it? That certain they, parties don't get a look in. Exactly. And you know, they're, 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 they're pro Brexit and they've got sensible views on uh, gender identity ideology. And they're, you know, they're they're just, and they're decent. You know, I think, um, I think, well, look, I'm not here to advertise for them, but I don't know whether the future is with those smaller parties. It might be, it might be Mm. that we have a future with coalitions. People are terrified of coalitions, but, and we are in that sort of spiral where ultimately we're never going to get proportional representation anyway, because of course it's not in the interest of the two major parties who are in power. The only way you get it, is for smaller parties to come in a coalition. It's not going to happen. So, wasn't it funny the way that uh, Labour prick teased the Lib Dems when it looked like mathematically like coalition was yeah. likely? Labour were all about hashtag Progressive Alliance, and then they ghosted the Lib Dems to fuck, didn't they? The moment they opened <laughs> up a double digit Lib Dems are like, just just wonder if you still want to talk about the Progressive Alliance. Hey, hey, you haven't heard from you for a while. I'm still buzzing about the Progressive Alliance, and they were like, yeah, we were never going to do that if we yeah. could govern. As a, as a main party. Uh, just one last question here, a bit more light-hearted one. This is from David Smith. Does Andrew think that there's anything at all that Titania has tweeted that won't come true? No, because ultimately the... Well, it depends. It, it, like If, if, if uh, we can emerge from this culture war on the right side of things, if social liberalism wins out, uh, then it'll be okay. And, and uh, uh, I think people will look back on this era as this incredible curiosity is weird moment where all these people who thought they were the good guys were sort of advocating some of the most horrendous things. Um, but, but the problem, well, I mean, we've seen that a little bit with COVID, haven't we? You know, we've seen with people sort of who were at one point saying that people should be sacked for not having vaccines. You know, yeah. that's quite an, I think that's quite an extreme position that became a mainstream position. We saw it after Brexit when you had, you had articles in the Guardian about, you know, you know, don't worry, because old people are going to die soon and then we can have another vote. I mean, we, you know, mm. it was seen suddenly as progressive to wish that old people would die. You know, mm. the, the only like, time it's OK to hope old people die is if they're rich and you're in debt. We, that's that's reasonable. That's a very reasonable. Yeah. yeah but, you know, the, on the whole, I think uh, wishing death on people should be considered a bad thing. But actually, even that in terms of the activist modus operandi, they they, they the way they behave on Twitter, they are they delight in people being injured or killed if they disagree with them they love that and they're like oh yeah i hope you die in a grease fire and it's like this is not how the good guys behave and have behaved throughout history 
Like how how little do you know about history to not realise that you're the cunts here? How do you not how do you not see that? It's weird. No, I, I do think my mum taught me growing up. She said, you know, never never sort of like dance on someone's grave, right? No, no matter who they are, especially in the immediate like like within probably definitely not within an hour of it being yeah. announced. Like whoever they are. Well, I mean, you know that that um, trans activist Veronica Ivy when when um, the feminist um, uh, what's her name Magdalene Burns died. Mm. Within the day, she actually posted an image of someone dancing on a grave. Like, so, so actually did it. You know, it's yeah. like, you are not the good person here. Like, this is absolutely insane. We, we saw that with the um, Let Women Speak thing in New Zealand, and you've got a 72-year-old woman punched repeatedly in the head, and the activists are delighted mm. about this and saying, this is wonderful. Like, well, it's like, I would always think that if you're doing something, that there's an actual phrase that says not to do it, like that's existed for a hundred years, like did never dance on someone's grave. It's like, it's like you see a gift horse and yeah. you go and look it in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go straight up to it. Yeah. And you go, all right, let's do, let's just check your teeth. Hey, let's check your teeth. <laughs> but it's the same with like, you know, 1984. I mean, George Orwell comes up with this concept that, that the, a, a ruling authoritarian party will make you say two plus two equals five. And then you've got all these activists, math, 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 mathematicians, academics saying, actually, sometimes two plus two can equal five. And let's explain why. And let's really overcomplicate things to say why that's true. Mm. Don't do it because Orwell used that as the example. Don't just don't, don't deliberately set out to prove the point yeah. that you're an authoritarian. It's absolutely insane. So I would say... Yeah. If that side of the argument wins, if if the culture war gets won by, the, let's call them the bad people, um, if the authoritarians win, then there is nothing that Tanya has tweeted that will not come true. In fact, that's just going to be the baseline. There's there's much more, much more higher and awful things to come because the, ex the end point of their logic is total segregation by group identity. Surely by, by this point with the Titania verse like the cinematic universe of Titania, there should be somebody else now who's more extreme than her that's coming for her. Is that not the fate? You know, like with Marvel's yeah. phase four. Exactly. Isn't that where she should be now? She's getting devoured by her own. She should be problematized and attacked for not being... Yeah, exactly. But they, they do it. They do it to a degree, you know, like so... And you see it's lovely when they turn on each other, isn't it? And and you and you see it online. That it's, it's. I mean, it's, it is. It's it's amazing to. This is why it, I think things have already started to move back the other way. Certainly in certain quarters, because the problem is, is like if you want to win a, a war, t shooting your own soldiers is is a quick way to dent morale. You know, like you it certainly can, it's it's effective for a few years, but eventually a lot of those other soldiers go. What are we fighting for here? Because I, I just saw my mate get shot in the face. Yeah, maybe they're taking their uh, their lead from the Romans, you know, decimating, you know, just killing 10% of the soldiers to teach them a lesson, you know, and they, and they were pretty good. They get they got they got quite far, but in the end they collapsed, didn't they? So, you know, it doesn't matter. So only only another 400 years of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Doyle, who's paperback the new Puritans uh is out. Do look out for his show that he's producing for John Cleese on GB News. I cannot believe that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is appearing on that show. I can't I, well, believe he you know, I worked hard to get him. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I love The Scorpion King. I think it's better than The Mummy. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. It's a well, now, finally, what we had, and over an hour in, you've said something genuinely controversial. Uh, Andrew Doyle, it's always great to have you back on, and thanks for coming back on What Most People Think. Thanks for having me.